Revelation chapter 6 now focuses on the breaking of the seals. Now comes the message for today. Revelation chapter 6 is the message for today. It says, I watched as the lamp opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Can we stop there for a moment? He says that when the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, he saw the first living creature, the one which is like a lion, release the first horseman. And when he released the first horseman, he was a white horse. And the white horseman came out. When he came out, you can see that he came with power. He came out with what? Power, authority, and to conquer. Because he says, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Do you know what that means? He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest means the following. It means that he was not ready to take anything else except victory. The second seal, please. Revelation chapter 6 verse 3. He says, when the lamp opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. His rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. I gave this prophecy all over the world. I said the red horse, the red horse. But now you know what he stands for. His manifestation, you know what it has become. The war in Afghanistan. The war in Iraq. The war in Pakistan. The war in Mexico. The war in DR Congo. The war in Somali. The war that I've just talked about. The Iranian war that is coming. The war in Syria, Yemen. The war in Libya. Name it. War, 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 bloodshed. This one. You are going to slowly be able to see the prophetic countdown towards the coming of the Messiah. Why would somebody come here and lie to you? That you may finance the lucrative lifestyle. There is work to be done. Because there must be a bride in this nation too. Oh yes. Oh yes. If it happens tonight, I would be happy. I'll be like, wow, I thank God I said the things I said yesterday. Verse 5. When the lamp opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Do you understand why I knew it's a global economic crisis? He was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. This is most critical. Because this one now will be able to define to you what the bride of Christ looks like. It is all there. Now listen to this. When the lamp opens the third seal, then the third creature, the face, you remember I kept describing he, he, I've seen he, releases now the black horse. And when the black horse is released, during the release of the black horse, there are some utterances that take place here. 
There are some instructions that he gives the rider of the black horse. First of all, the rider of the black horse is holding a pair of scales. Weighing scale. Balance. Balance in Spanish. And that is the only way I knew. Because weighing scale, weighing, weighing scale. With something here and something here. I am going to put two stones here. And when I pay some money, you will cut for me some meat, beef. They cut, they put, because it has to balance. At times when it's too big, take it back, cut it again, throw a small piece. See if it's really going to balance. If it is sugar, scoop it, pour. Scoop it, pour. If it's too much, remove a little bit, add a little bit until it balances. The balance in his hand, the weighing scale, it stands for, give me this, the two stones worth of my money, this worth of the money. Buying and selling. The balance, the weighing scale, the Lord uses it to speak buying and selling. Buying and selling. I give you this equivalent to these two stones. You give me the sugar worth that weight, balancing that level. And if the balance stands for buying and selling, then that means it stands for trade. Trade. That means it stands for commerce. You combine trade, buying and selling, and commerce, it gives economy. It talks about the market, marketplace. So the marketplace is in the hands of the rider of the black horse. Which means there is a black day coming to the market. But there is a deeper message. That's where I'm heading to. That's how I could be able to prophesy earlier and the famine there. Because there he says, a quart of wheat for a day's wages. But now, how does this release of the third horseman give a dual prophecy, by the way, I'm giving it to you now, gives two prophecies. How does it define the bride of Christ at this hour? Listen very carefully here. When the lamp breaks the third seal, pa, open, and opens that segment of the scroll, and he says the black horse is released. I describe the vision here. And then, as he's going, he is being told, if you will go, in other words, you hear the Lord talking to him, saying, I can see you are going with so much power, in other words. Yeah? But if you will go down there and find those people who are barely surviving, you know, in the Hebrew definition, a quart of wheat is just enough wheat for one person to eat for one day. And I know that when you go to work, you don't go to work for yourself, to get for yourself to eat. Do you do that? You go to work that you may earn a wage and feed yourself and feed your family too. And if you put it together, let's say the average Hebrew family, maybe we can say it was 10. Okay, we can cut it down to 7, even 7. So that means famine was coming. Something will have changed to the extent that the salary, the wage he used to have, which was enough to buy all the food for the entire household, will now be just enough for one person. Either the food prices have gone up, meaning the supply has gone down, rain, drought, the Lord can use anything. And I have seen, since I gave that prophecy, I've seen him use drought, I've seen him use floods, I've seen many things to change the price of food, to cause the crisis. Meaning, the supply will be low, and the demand will be high, and there will be an inflation of prices. Food prices. You know, food is a basic. 
And the Lord is saying, if you will find, I know you are going to bring a famine down there, but if you will find a family, a group of people, a household that is barely surviving, that is simply on one quart of wheat, they are barely surviving on wheat, one quart of a day's wage. He says, tighten things up for them. Uh-uh, let me say it again. He's saying, if you will find the poor, those who are not affluent food-wise, right? Those who have scarcity of food. Please do me a favor. Tighten for them. Make it even harder. One quart of wheat for a day's wages. Huh? Why would the Lord say such a thing? That sounds very cruel, right? Now listen to me very carefully. If you see the oil and wine, don't damage it, right? Now, in Israel, at this time, this is how the family is presented. There were two classes in Israel at that time. Now, this is key. If you catch this, this is yours. You run with this. There were two classes in Israel. The rich people, the affluent class, the wealthy class, they stayed up the hills. And from there, their garbage, basura, their garbage, they always threw abfal. They threw it down the valleys. The rich homes, the affluent homes were up. And the poor people stayed down. Listen now to this. If you looked at the diet of the poor people, the common people, those who are barely making it, it mainly consisted of bread, the pita bread. They call it the pita bread, you know it. That's why today, even today, right now as I speak, the government in Israel has to subsidize the price of the pita bread that everybody may afford. They take it, buy every Shabbat when it's near Friday morning, crossing the street, everybody has to have some pita bread. That's minimum. At least you have the pita bread. You can eat with something else, right? As you find the rest. That was the image, the structure of the poor. That is how their table looked like. There was the pita bread. If you found vegetables with it, that's alright. If you found any meat, oh, you are blessed. Whatever. Fish, there you go. But at least you are the basic. And he's saying that you should go among these ones here that only have the basic. And when you see them... Tighten it. Make sure that a quart of wheat is for a day's wages. Tighten it. Bring famine there. Can I talk about a second class? The affluent class. If you looked at the table, the dining table, the table of the affluent, what did you see? There was a basket with the cloth. So, the basket with the cloth and the hot pita bread was put there and covered, closed. Covered to keep it hot, warm. Really hot. At the same table, there was a special glass of wine from a select vineyard. I'm talking about now the affluent table. Then what they used to do, they used to take chunks of cheese, chunks of cheese, and they dipped into olive oil. And it was kept there for some time. And so the cheese would suck the oil. It would be drenched with oil. They knew, there are people who knew how to do it, I don't know how long. So, at the time of the meal, then you have the wine here, the hot bread covered here, and then the cheese would be scooped out on the plate, but when it comes, it would flood the plate with olive oil. That is now cheese that is soaked with oil. And then they also had olives, olives for eating, olives also on that table. And then if you have fish, what that was now there at the side here. 
So listen. At the meal, you opened the basket, you took the hot bread, a piece of it, you used it to touch the cheese. And when you touched the cheese, as you pulled out the cheese, it soaked the oil. So you ate the cheese with the oil. And you took a select wine and you sipped and put down. That was now at the affluent table. And if it was fish at the side, that was now to add on. You understand? But this was basic structure of the table. And the Lord was saying that these horsemen would now bring famine to those who are barely surviving. He said, go do so. Make sure a quart of wheat is for a day's wages. But if you come and find those who are affluent, they're feeding well, they're taking the choicest of wine, choicest of olive oil, they're touching cheese, they're soaking wine, and soaking oil, and eating. He says, for them, don't touch them. Just protect them. I like that. People say, hmm. People say, why? You know, because that's like cruel, you know. For them, protect them. Don't destroy them. I'll give you the message here. When Jesus was giving this prophecy, this third one, he said, there will be famines in various places. But I want to get deeper to this now. Let me get to the center of this message. How does it define the bride of Christ? What does it represent in the spiritual realm? This dual prophecy, I see the Lord speaking upon the breaking of the third seal. Now listen to this. We know it too well that the Lord was talking about the fact that there would be a famine coming into the church. Turn with me to the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Today you get the real word. You get the mature word today. So that today you may understand what the Lord is saying to the church right now. Such that if somebody else comes with another word which is contrary to this, you can now question. You can now ask and say, excuse me, how about the coming of the Messiah which is near? Amos chapter 8 verses 11 and 12, he says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men who stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Have you ever wondered why at times you get into a church and after that you say, I, I, I did not get what I was looking I'm still looking for another church. In these days, that is true. Because you enter there and you are so thirsty, so hungry. You want to be fed. Because the way the Lord created the soul is such that there is a specific part in your soul, a part of your soul, that only the righteous word, the holy word, can satisfy. And nothing else. So you come to a church and you listen to the worship, worship, worship. You say, I like the worship. Worship. And then after a short time they stop it. Five minutes. Okay, they fast dance, right? First they dance with guitar and drums. They're jumping and dancing. As they jump and jump and dance, then eventually they say, let us now enter into the presence of the Lord. Makes you wonder, in whose presence have we been? So then the worship comes and is short-lived. That's what I was describing yesterday, how I used to look for worship. 
And that's why when the Lord sent me to establish this church, the first thing I told them, please never stop worship. Even for three hours, four hours, they worship. But listen to this. You go to a church, and then the pastor begins to preach. At first, the message is strong. And then all of a sudden, he breaks it down, breaks it down, starts talking about giving, 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 giving. And then you feel, oh, I still feel I did not get what I wanted. And you are in the next church, the next church, the next church. He says, they will be wandering from sea to sea, from north to east. Remember, not north to south. North to east, meaning going haphazardly. Just looking for the word. And he says, and they will not find it. So when the Lord was talking about the famine that was coming, here, when he sent the rider of the black horse, he gave a dual prophecy. He gave a prophecy of two churches. He was saying, in other words, in those days, as I send you now, there are going to be two churches there. I am sending you down there, but you will encounter two churches. You're going to encounter two types of churches. You're going to meet one church where the word is very scarce. There is a big famine, there is desolation. Where the false prophets are busy enchanting and doing things. They are doing their gimmicks and business and practice. And the sheep are eating because there is no word. He says, if you find that type of church, kill it. Destroy it. Do you understand the instruction here? Because that is not the bride of Christ. He said, that's not the bride. Destroy it. And he said, however, you will find another church, a church that is affluent. You remember the symbolism of affluence here? The special wine. The special oil and cheese and the bread and the olives and the fish on this side. The eating in affluence. However, you will find another church there. A church that is bathing in the oil and wine. A church that is flowing with the oil of this hour. And oil stands for the flow of the anointing. Of the Holy Spirit. And the wine stands for the power of that anointing. He says, if you will meet a church that is flowing in the oil and wine. In other words, if you will meet the oil and wine church. He says, protect her. Don't damage her. That is the bride. Do you remember the wise virgins with the jar? Now you can see this. Do you now remember the wise virgins? With a jar of oil, there you go. The Lord in heaven himself also pronounced protection over them. And so, the question then becomes, what church are you? Oh, there now. The moment of truth now. Which one are you? You see that now. Because, he says, the oil and wine church. Let me explain to you this. Oh, you people, let me explain to you this precious thing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing from the throne room of heaven and is bringing down the wisdom of the Holy Spirit into the church. And that is the wise virgin. They are wise because they are walking in the fear of the Lord. That is what the Holy Spirit brings them. He tells them, hey, guess what? When the Holy Spirit was sent, he was sent with one purpose. To reveal more and more of Christ to the church. That if you will know the character of Christ, the person of Christ more, then you will worship him right. And so when the anointing comes, 
of the Holy Spirit flows from the throne. He reveals the Holy Christ. The righteous Christ. And he brings wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord. And in the process, he is instructing the church. Everything in this church is instructed of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is not something putative, imaginary. It is written in the Bible. It is meant to be real. You are meant to realize it here. And when I saw the manifestation of the oil and wine revival, I said, Lord, I never even imagined it would manifest in this way. The great hunger. So what revival does is actually increase the hunger for Christ. Did you understand me? So my question is, are there no souls for the Lord to harvest? For sure there are. But why can the church prepare and wear the sack cloth like Kenya? They first had to wear the sack and walk out in the sack until the Lord finds a vessel and then pour the oil and the wine. Why? He does not respect persons or nations. Only Israel is very supreme. He does not respect persons or color. Yellow, white, you know, green, whatever. You know, he does not. He respects the disposition of the heart. Did you understand me? The availability of your heart. The Lord is crying here. He's asking, in other words, is there somebody in this land that I can use? Can I find a vessel here? Because otherwise, you can keep saying revival, 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 revival. You'll say so until you miss the rapture. And yet, nations are preparing. There is real revival out there. Real revival. It is, let me tell you one thing. Oh, 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 oh. To see a throng of millions of people, a throng of that gathering, and all of them worshipping the Lord non-stop for three straight days. <laughs> no, you don't understand. Three straight days non-stop with babies here. And they have not carried a backpack with sandwiches and Coca-Cola. They are worshipping for three days non-stop. When you look at it, the mere sight of it, say, this I honor. You will say, this now, this is the Lord now. Because how do they sustain? Let nobody deny you the chance to see the oil and wine revival the Lord talks about you. Oh, I have the passport now. I'm okay now. I'm settled. I'm now peaceful. And then you miss heaven. What is the point? And that's why when I come here, I come with one purpose, if you understood me right. I literally come to pluck you and to anchor you into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Because that one now is eternal. So do you see this prophecy here? When the Lord sent the black horseman, when the Lord gave me this prophecy, this was a big prophecy to the church. He was telling the church, look, look the countenance, look the appearance, the character, the features of the bride of Christ. She is the oil and wine church. She's drenched up in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. She's operating in the power of the new wine. The strength of her anointing. Hallelujah. And that's why I'm here. He wants to do the same here. He really loves your souls. That's why he has sent me here. He says it must begin. At one point you really have to begin. No, listen to me precious people. You can fool around. You can play around up to one place. Beyond which you really going to have to make your mind.
you have to decide and know which way to go. Look at how the church is drenched in sin, sexual sin. And how darkness has beclouded the entire church. You people have heard these words. You really have to make up your mind. And decide which way you want to go with your life for your eternity. No one will force you. No, otherwise you stay there and find that the church is taken. Nobody will force you. But the Lord has come now to shake you up. To say, please wake up. Time is even gone. Prepare now. Other churches are already preparing. They are inside the oil and wine. Others have been preparing for years. You have not yet begun. Others have already trained their feet. For you, you have not yet even begun. You have not even raised the first holy tent. The pastors are here. They really have to raise the holy tents right now. This whole thing of people coming from other countries to lie to you, to say, oh, we are prophets, we are apostles, and they say, oh, revival is coming. Uh, revival. Forget about that. Listen to me. Get down to work now. Begin meeting in your homes. Pray for revival. The word has been released here. That the time is now. Ezekiel 47. The book of Ezekiel 47. Hallelujah. Verse 1, Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple. South of the altar. Verse 2. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And water was flowing from the south side. Verse 3. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross. But the water had risen and was deep enough to swim. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Listen to this. When the man of the spirit was speaking with Ezekiel, he took him into the inner court of the temple. This is inside. This is happening inside the inner court of the temple. And he measured of a thousand cubits and then you see the water that was to the ankle. Another thousand cubits, the knee. A thousand cubits, the waist, and then a river he could not cross. He had to swim. And that tells you that now you have to swim in the direction of the current of the river. What is the message here? He is talking about the anointing that would visit the church at this hour. And I like the fact that he says that all this is happening inside the inner court. Inside now. And the only place in the inside where this can happen is the Holy of Holies. And this river is the channel, the portal that flows from... This is the life-nurturing spirit of the Lord. This is the life-giving spirit of the Lord, this river. And... It flows right from behind the throne room, from the throne room of God, right into the house of the Lord. So Ezekiel was seeing what would be with the anointing now in the house. Listen to me now. That as this river would flow into the house, 
this river would bring the life of God into the church. But how would that happen? I said it already. I said the only one and only reason why the Holy Spirit was unleashed to the church is that the Holy Spirit may reveal more and more of the person of Christ. And in so doing, bring, in other words, the wisdom of God into the church, into the center of the church. But he's saying, only the church that is in the Holy of Holies. If you look at the day that the Lord was crucified, the curtain ruptured. The curtain ruptured. And when the curtain ruptured, he essentially admitted the church without being Levitical or what. He admitted the church into the holy of holies. The most holy place. And so my question to you is this. What is the church doing in the outer court? Because if I look at your practice, your worship, it mimics, it's synonymous with that casualness of the outer court. You say, oh, how is it going out here? Oh, how are things? Did it rain that side? That is what I see in the church. It's a very casual relationship with the Lord. And that's reminiscent with the outer court practice. And yet, if the church were to be in the Holy of Holies, at that place is the ark of the new covenant of the Lord, is the judgment of God. That is a righteous place. Samuel was lying in there. Oh yes. You don't fool around there. You fool around there, the Lord strikes you. Because that's the most holy place. The blood of Jesus has been poured there. Excuse me? So what are you people doing in the outer court? Because in the inner court, there is holiness. There's righteousness. There's uprightness. There is right standing with the Lord. But anyhow, he talks about the massive propensity, the capacity of the church to receive. Oh, revival really has to come here. Because when revival comes, then you realize there is no limit. And actually, you cannot predict the trajectory, how it's going to go. You cannot predict it at all. Me, I see. I see before, so I normally announce on radio. So I can say, but the issue is, is that the limit? It has no limit. When you arrive here, the Lord begins that. Which means the Lord wants to take the church for an adventure. He wants to take the church on a journey. Whereby she will be total. Look at this now. As the Holy Spirit comes, He begins to remove you and more of you and more of you and replace with more of Christ and Christ and Christ. And you will continue doing so until you are Christ-like. That is the bride. That is what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying now the church that is flowing in the oil and wine, the church that is being instructed of the Holy Spirit, being led only by the Holy Spirit. Only by the Holy Spirit. You love the Lord. So the Lord has to revive this church. Hallelujah. You people have a responsibility. This is not a message you take for eating. You say, I eat it, I settle, I'm ready now to enter. No, this message is essentially discipling you, empowering you, equipping you. That you may go speak it out to the rest, that they too may enter. Remember what Daniel said. And those who lead many into righteousness, 
they will shine even brighter like the stars forever and ever. You see that? And this is the message of, of the third seal. But anyhow, I need to read the scripture here. The apostasy. Can you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 10? Verse 20. I know that I need to touch the fourth seal, the fifth and sixth. Let me summarize it here for you. When the fourth seal is broken, then you have the pale horsemen, the death that I spoke about that is consuming Syria, Yemen, Libya, where? Right now, wherever. Now, and then after that, when the fifth seal is broken, then, now, now this is very key. When the fifth, this is the countdown I talked about. When the fifth seal is broken, this is what you see. You see now the souls of those who have been murdered, beheaded for the word of Christ. For the message of the Lord, they have been beheaded. For the testimony they stood by, the testimony of Christ. They were testifying Christ. And because of that, they were beheaded. And they are under the altar. They say, oh, holy and sovereign, everlasting father. When will you avenge our killing, our blood? And they are told, don't worry. Wait until the number of your brethren who are supposed to be murdered for the gospel is completed. Then I'll be able to come back to you. Then I'll avenge your killing. In other words. But now listen to this. They testify Christ and they are butchered. They are beheaded. They are murdered. That speaks something very critical, you people. Because he's saying, when the fourth seal is broken, you see the manifestation going on right now. The fulfillment. When the fifth seal is broken, then now, anyone who will try to preach Christ, put your neck on the wood and axe. Next, do you also still stand by that, Jesus? Put your neck here. Cut. Next, do you also still believe in that, Jesus? They are the ones crying here. Listen to this now. For as long as the church is in here, on the earth here, she will always testify Christ. Did you understand that? For as long as the church is still on earth, she will always preach Christ. Christ Jesus. For as long as the church is still here, she will always worship Jesus. You understand? And if he's saying that when the fifth seal is broken, now he's seeing those who tried to worship and they were beheaded. What does that tell you about the church? Uh-huh. That is the truth. The church is out of here. So now you understood it. That's why I told you, you'll see the zero countdown. Now when you watch your global economic crisis on TV, the Eurozone, we don't agree on the budget, ABCD, how should we deliver Greece? How should we help Spain? How should we do what? Now you understand what that demarcates, what it punctuates within the prophetic timeline of Jehovah. Now when you watch the Arab unrest, you know what it means. Now, after now, when the fifth seal is broken, then now people are butchered for testifying Christ. Listen to this, somebody. For as long as you walk like this, you walk like this, say, you know what? For me, I am born again. That is testifying Christ. That means when the fifth seal is broken, don't count on that. Yes, I have seen the breaking of the four seals. And actually, the fulfillment has been quite rapid. But don't wait for another seal. Just prepare. Because something tells me that when the fifth seal is broken, 
You cannot stand here and preach Christ. That means the church is taken away. And then you can say, oh, but no, we need a lot of restructuring for that to happen because uh, the Antichrist must come. I said, yes, excuse me. But when the rapture does take place, it will be such a massive shock on the face of the earth. The sheer numbers of people who will be running to police stations to report the loss of their loved ones. The sheer numbers of those who will be in distress because, you know, a manager, a country needs to go through elections, a holy president was taken, whatever, I don't know. There will be need for somebody to rise up real quick. What I've always said in the articles, I've said it will instantly ripen the earth for the Antichrist to take authority. The global economic crisis you're seeing today is just a precursor, a prelude of what's coming up. The humongous economic crisis of the Great Tribulation. When there will be control in commerce. You know these things now. But I'm reading the book of Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 20. Hallelujah. Jeremiah chapter 10, 20, 21. It says, my tent is destroyed. All its ropes are snapped. My sons are gone from me and are no more. No one is left to pitch my tent or to set up my shelter. The shepherds are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord. So they do not prosper. And all their flock are scattered. Let me just explain that for now. Listen to this now. Jeremiah was sent to Israel. And when the Lord sent Jeremiah to Israel, at one point, he told Jeremiah, go tell them to repent. Because Jeremiah saw already, the Lord showed him the great abomination that was taking place in the house. The gospel of corruption, the false prophecies, false prophets, the, what, the worshipping of another. When I look at the church today, I see the church of the Jeremiah's time again. We've gone full circle. Listen to this. At one point, the Lord told him, I will not give you the message unto these people until you get down to the porter's house. And if you look very carefully, if you read chapter 18 and chapter 19, that is the valley of Ben-Hinnon. The valley of Ben-Hinnon, eventually, my children, you know, Ben-Hinnon, the sons of Hinnon. But Ben-Hinnon really was talking about the valley of hell anyway. Why? Because at that place, that is where it was facing the port's heart's gate. So they were throwing all the broken pots down there. At the same time, they were also throwing the dead dogs, the dead cats. It was quite a wrench and a stench. The smoldering of dead dogs smolderings you know with the fire now burning and they are rotting but smoldering smoke they reek in the stench and the lord told him i will not give you this message until you get down to the porter's house meaning to the valley on ben hinnon of ben hinnon and so when he got to the valley of ben hinnon he found the porters there what were they doing they were taking the old pots that were discarded thrown down they were breaking them into finer particles and putting water, mixing, and working on the wheel, building another pot, another. Another pot, as they deemed fit for that moment, for now. As was right for now. And when he reached there, the smelling dogs, the stench and the wrench and name it, of the cats and everything, the dead animals, the rot of the city, all there. And the porters are working here. 
Then the Lord gives him a message. He says, now can you take your prophetic finger and point at the house of Jacob? Point at the temple of the Lord. And tell them, ask them this question. Hey, house of Jacob, can the Lord do with you as the potter is doing here? Building another pot as he deems fit for now. Can he build in you another pot? Why would the Lord speak to Jeremiah like that about the temple? The temple of Jehovah. Listen to this. What Israel forgot to understand was one thing. You know, many times when the Lord sends me, even they know. When I speak and I tell them, but I help them, I always say, this prophecy, I've given it in veiled form. There are some I give in veiled. I told them, this one is covered. I'm not going to mention the country that's involved. I'm not going to mention the two countries involved. But I can see the aircraft is going to live this way. This is the closest we are going to get to that war. Sometimes the Lord causes you to speak in veiled form. Sometimes open. But listen to this now. When Jeremiah was speaking, they did not understand the depth, the gravity of what he had seen. He was telling them, please repent. Repent and turn away from this thing of picking women from the temple. Repent and turn away from this prosperity you're preaching in the temple. Return to worshiping Jehovah. Go back to holiness. Stop the witchcraft, idolatry. Idol worship. Today there is a golden calf in the church. Everybody comes with one and only intention. I want the Lord to bless me with prosperity. And there is a golden calf here. Everybody is coming and touching like this and kissing and going and longing for it to bless. But now listen to this. What Israel did not see was this. Israel, the house of Jacob did not know that when Jeremiah was saying, hey, temple of the Lord, repent. And otherwise I see commotion. If you look at down there, verse 22, say, listen, the report is coming, a great commotion from the land of the north and so forth. I see destruction coming from the north. When Jeremiah was saying so, little did the house of Jacob know that Jeremiah had actually seen two scenarios. Number one, they are sinful scenarios. Number two, that they would refuse to repent. Number three, the scenario that they refuse. In the event, they refuse to repent. And Jeremiah had seen already the destruction of the temple. And you know, the temple was such an icon. An icon of the nation. A symbol of nationhood. Listen to this now. So, when Jeremiah had seen that they would not repent, so Jeremiah saw the destruction of the temple. And... Little did Israel know because they never believed the Lord would destroy it. Never. Even when Jesus sat here and said, not even one stone would remain on another. Nobody believed that the church would be destroyed to where it is today. And today, that white horseman has destroyed the church such that not even one stone is left now. But listen to this very well. Jeremiah. Jeremiah had seen the use, the utility of the temple would be finished. He had seen that the utility of this physical temple, this corrupt temple, the utility was coming to an end. And he had seen something else. Jeremiah had seen the glorious dispensation when the Messiah comes. That's why in 31 he says, I hear the voice of Rachel wailing at Rama, refusing to be comforted. And when Jesus is taken to Egypt, that prophecy is repeated that was fulfilled. But listen to this. Why was Rachel wailing at Rama and nobody can comfort her? Listen to this now. Listen very carefully. When Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked, listen to this. He was giving the prophecy from the valley of Ben-Hinnon. 
the smell, the bad smell, the smoldering, the potters are here. They are refusing to be reconstructed. And then he's saying, look, because you say, you are broken now. This pot is finished. I can rebuild a new one. But they refuse. Listen to this now. He was saying, you think that you're observing a revival, but I want you to know that you have no revival. They thought they were still seeing revival. That is the tragedy about the church. Let me tell you. The tragedy is this. You can always think you are in revival, 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 and yet the glory has lifted. Oh, 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 oh. You need to be very careful on that one. Even the servants of the Lord. That's why they think they are still serving the Lord. But how can he serve the Lord like that? The Lord is holy. How can he serve like that? So, they kept thinking that revival was on, but Jeremiah was saying, hey, there is no more revival now. In fact, the fact that you've refused to repent, the Lord has to destroy that temple because I've seen the glorious coming, the dispensation of the coming of the Messiah. So look, they were all gathered. When Nebuchadnezzar came, he gathered all the slaves at Ramah and they used to chain them. That time they tie your waist and tie the next one, the next one by waist. And Nebuzaradan, the commander of the Babylonian army, was walking at Ramah after he gathered them. He was inspecting them before they leave for Babylon. He was walking like this, with the boots of the soldier. Walking like this, inspecting them, touching them. See, who will manage the journey? And if they find a very weak one, remove this one, he will die on the way. He will give us trouble. Give us trouble, he might fall and fall sick on the road. They were taking the strong ones. And as he was doing so, he met Jeremiah on the line. Say, Jeremiah, what are you doing here? He said, please unchain this man. And then listen to this now. Now Nebuzaradan says this. He walks like this. Says, huh? Are you the people who refuse to listen to the Lord? They heard the words of the Lord now from the commander. They did not know that the Lord had shown Jeremiah the obsoleteness, the finished the exhaustion of the utility of that temple. That now there would be need for a more holy temple. A spiritual temple because the glorious one is coming. The glorious dispensation comes. The same thing I have seen for the church. When the Lord lifted me up and showed me the temple of God in heaven. It was a glorious temple. Very glorious. And even now. According to all the conversations I've shared here, you can almost see that I've seen the coming of the glorious dispensation. And the Lord is saying, time is over for the physical temple, the corrupt temple you dwell in. You need to repent, otherwise the Bible has to repeat itself. I have seen the Messiah coming. I've seen the glorious dispensation. Look how the Lord is visiting the church. If that is anything to go by for what is coming, which means that coming dispensation is so much glory and power, and it cannot survive anymore. You cannot contain it on that physical corrupt temple, corrupt vessel. You have to build a new temple in your life. The new tabernacle. This one you have is full of immorality, pornography. Let's go for movies. Let's drink some beers. Which girl is going where? Let's dress short skirts and go for men in the church. Whatever the nonsense. But the Lord is saying that the moment for decision is now. And you guys have to make up your minds if you want to enter heaven. Because this is the time to build the next temple. I shared with you when I read from the book of Exodus 28 verse 2. 
when he said, when it was time for Aaron to present, to appear before the throne, then there was protocol. Then he said, prepare for him a sacred garment, to consecrate him, separate him, so that he may be separate, so that he may observe separateness and appear before the Lord. I have shared with you here today that I have seen the garment, I have seen the church appearing. And for me, I see things which are going to happen. So in other words, I've given you a prophecy. I've said, very soon the church will have to appear. And when she appears there, only those adorned, garbed, in glorious garment will appear. Because this word will not change. Ezekiel 13, I'm reading verses 10 to 12, only a few verses. The apostasy of this day. He says, Ezekiel 13 verse 10. Because they lead my people astray, saying peace, when there is no peace, and because when, flimsy, when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones. Hurtling down, and violent wind will burst forth. Verse 12. When the wall collapses... Will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? 13. He says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind. And in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash. And will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it. And you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 15. So I will spend my wrath against the wall and against those who cover it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone. So are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace declares the sovereign Lord. Hallelujah. Covering with whitewash. Why are you covering with whitewash? And you know that the house is shaking. Covering with whitewash. Now it looks something. The Lord is saying, I need genuine repentance. I need you to repent and turn away from sin that I can build a new and new vessel. If you just you know, raise it on something, I learned something. That when you are building a house, you would have to dig until you reach the stone down there. That's when you start the foundation. That was amazing discovery. You know why? Because you have now anchored it on the rock. Then it can stand. So the question then becomes, why have you built the church on such light soil and you painted it so well and you know that this is a refurb. It's just going to be shaken down in one go. At one go, it will go down. And you know, you know that the foundation of the church does not exist. It's been eaten up, destroyed. He says, house of the Lord. You say, this is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And he says, it is not the temple of the Lord. The Lord wants to build a new house. A house of honor, a house of glory. A house that befits the time. A house that can propel the church can bring revival and propel the church into the next, the spiritual realm, the dispensation, the next one. 
And he's saying, however much you paint sin with whitewash, the way you are doing right now. Oh, you are really whitewashing it, right? You know that more than I do. In the church, there's a lot of abortions. I don't know. Immorality is just everywhere. And also the falsehood, the lies. And the gospel, the false gospel that you're propelling in the church. Jeremiah chapter 6, 13, 14, I finish. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And I'm reading Daniel to finish. Daniel chapter 12, I'm reading verse 10. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. In this conversation, when Daniel sealed the rapture, he had seen that there would be a continuum, a process. Because he says, many of the wicked will continue. There was a process. Will continue to be wicked. They will not understand. But he's talking about this. He had seen people that many would be purified, made spotless, and refined. But you see that in the book of Ephesians when he's saying, time will come to perfection the bride. That she will be perfectioned, matured, and polished. He's talking about polishing of the church here. Again, purified. He says, made spotless and refined. Let me explain this to you very clearly, deeper, and then I'll open it deeper, and then I will be able to anchor it for you. Remember, Daniel had seen the coming of the Messiah. But where are we talking? Do you remember that the wise men, they read the manuscripts of Daniel. That is when they were able to know the sign that would be when the Messiah has come. And that's why they followed the star. They read the manuscripts of Daniel. So Daniel had actually seen when he was coming to Bethlehem. So the first purification is this. When he said, many will be purified, made spotless and refined. The first purification Daniel was talking about is this. Daniel had seen the first purification after the fall in the garden. But Daniel had also seen the book of life. He saw those whose names are in the book of life. And then Daniel had also seen the apostasy of the day. That's why he looks at the wicked. He saw then now the church would be delivered at the cross, but then there would be apostasy again, the fall. That's why he saw the wicked. But then he saw again that there would be the revival of the church. He said, being made spotless, removing spots now. And refining, which is essentially polishing of the church. This is very powerful. So this is the time at which the church is being refined. And be careful. Because he says, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. I would worry about that. I would really strive to make sure I'm being refined. You see? Listen to this now. If you know that you're not right before the Lord, say, precious Jesus. I come before you tonight and surrender my life to you. Precious Lord, I repent right now and ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I have heard your word about the coming of the Messiah. And about the revival of righteousness. 
Today I surrender my ministry to you. And ask you to consume my ministry with fire. And bring revival. And power. And authority. In the mighty name of Jesus. I am born again. Amen.